So here we are, friends, at the end of our journey, the end of this, uh, what we call the dangerous but joyful journey on the, through the Psalms of Ascent. We're here at the end, and we are called at the end here to come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the, to, to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Now, when was the last time you took a long trip? Can you think, think back, some of you have children and long trips are memorable for different reasons than for others, uh, but there is a certain joy, which we've said this before, there's a certain joy in arriving at a destination. There's a certain joy in getting packed up and, and heading out and journeying and arriving. There's an excitement and joy to that. Um, if it's a vacation, I mean, if your long trip is not just a work trip. There's also a certain joy of arriving at home, right? When you come back, there's always this, there's this sense of like, ah, I'm home. Even though I wanted to go away and we had a good time, we have come home. You have come back to life, back to reality. But you're home, and the journey is over. Now, arriving at Mount Zion is like arriving at your destination and at home all at once. It, you've come to the city of the living God, the place where God's presence is, is known and dwells with his people. It's a, like arriving at the place you plan to rest and arriving at the place where your heart is, where you hang your hat, where you sleep in your own bed. And we said from the beginning that this group of 15 psalms, we're here at the end at the 15th one, this group of 15 psalms is like a traveling playlist for the, the Christian journey or for the pilgrim who is uh, here at home but also is traveling to his eternal home. It is, it's not simply for entertainment, but it functions as a playlist that helps us worship and enjoy God. If you have a truncated view, if you have a small view of Christianity, you might think that Christians only worship God when things are going well and only ask God for things when things are going badly. But the Psalms teach us, and they paint a different picture for us of worship. We go to God when things aren't going well. We lament and we praise God. We go to him because we know that he's the only one that can do anything about our sorrows. So friends, this group of songs, this playlist, their Spotify playlist that we've now clicked on the, the last song of the playlist, Psalm, Psalm 134, but this group of songs actually started out in Psalm 120 in a very different place. The very first song said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Warrior sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Meshech was north of Jerusalem and Kedar was southeast of Jerusalem and, and the psalmist was, was creating for us the vast distance and, and how it felt to be away from home. I'm dwelling in this place these, among these people who don't really love me or love the Lord. He's far away from Jerusalem, but he's made his, his journey. 
And we've made the dangerous journey with him and have arrived in Jerusalem. And as we approach the temple of Jerusalem, we remember that this is the place where God chose to make his presence dwell. We also notice that the lights are on. Imagine you've made your way through Psalm 120 and 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. And you've made your dangerous journey from these places like Kadar, which means darkness. And you've made it and you've come into Jerusalem at night and you see the temple and the lights are on. This place where God's presence dwells, there, there's activity and movement and the priests are, are there and often they would, close, they would close the gates at night but you've made it in just before the gates close and the sun is down but the night shift is on duty. And they're there, they're filling the lamps so the lights don't go out for the continual worship of God in the, in the temple. And the priests are on duty filling the lamps, replacing the incense for the altar for prayers. And continual worship is happening. They're replacing the bread for the, the table of showbread. And as they went about their duties at night, they're reminded that the day is not the only time to worship. Those on the night shift worship God as well. So they call to each other, come. Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. One old pastor imagined it the other way around, that the, the journey was over and now it's time to go back home. And as the travelers went back home, they had one last worship service with the night crew at the temple and they called out to God's servants and ministers and priests, and they, and they told them, come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. So those travelers who arrived by night would experience this worship service, and their trip was over. They would experience the joy of the festival for a week, and then it was time to go back home. But they would remember that in this place, there was worship happening. They are to rest and worship and they are also at home. And home for God's people is a place for worship. Now, when I was a kid, I thought if heaven was going to be a perpetual worship service, I don't want to go there. Am I the only person who thought that? Go ahead. Can I get an amen or some hand, something, so I don't feel alone in this? Now, Part of the reason is because I had a small view of what worship is, and, and, and if it sounds boring to you, you need a new picture of what worship is. We have too small of a view of God. And so what does God call us to do in this psalm? What does God call us to do? He calls us to worship. And, and the other people, the, either the priests or the people passing by are calling the priests, come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. God calls us to worship, so our call to worship and God's call to bless. If we're gonna have a big view of worship, if we're going to be an outpost of heaven for people who, who, who don't know what God is like or don't know what worship is all about, if we're gonna be that as God's people, we, we need to hear our call to worship and we need to voice God's call to bless us. Our call to worship comes in verses one and two. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. God has made you for worship. Worship is what you were made for. 
When God first made Adam and Eve, he made them in a temple garden. He made them his images to worship him and reflect his glory as he fellowshiped with him in the garden, walking with him, but also as they worked and as they played and as they rest and as they communed together as a couple. Friend, you were made to reflect God in every part of your life. Work, rest, play, religion. You you were made to reflect him because you were made in his image. And the temple in Jerusalem was, was simply reflecting the heavenly courts or even the Garden of Eden before the fall where there is continual worship with God. We are called to worship, to bless the Lord, and that is the repeated word throughout. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, and then Lord, bless your people. God has called us to bless him, to praise him. We do not bless God the same way he blesses us. God blesses us with everything we have in, in, th- in this life, but, but we bless him by praising him, by ascribing to him what he is. So when we say, blessed be your name, when, when we sing songs like that, or say how great you are because of, the things, of, of who you are and the things that you have done, we're ascribing to the God blessing. It's, it's the same word, bless, but we could call it praise, worship. And you were created to worship God. Not just in a place like this, but in every moment of your life. We don't don't bless God the way he blesses us. We ascribe to him glory. Uh, We were at the, Uriah and I were at the Beavers game yesterday. Go Beavs. Yep, I heard it. I heard it. And uh, Uriah and his friend Sammy like to go on the field afterwards. And uh, the players are very kind people, and they'll, they'll stay around, and they'll sign, and, and Uriah and Sammy had them sign so many things, and like, hey, can you sign my shirt? Can you sign my glove? Can you sign my football? Can you sign my socks? Can you sign my face? Not really, but it was just like one thing after another. But Uriah and Sammy are kind of doing what we're supposed to do. They're ascribing to the players some, some sort of greatness, why do they want their autograph? One day they might make it to the NFL and I, I will have known this person. Will, he will have touched my pen and signed his autograph on my football. In a very small way, that's what we do to God. We're ascribing to him praise. God, you are so big. You're so great. You're so blessed. And we want everyone to know that, but we want you to know it. See, the problem is we think worship is only coming to church and singing songs. It is that. Don't get me wrong. We need gathered worship. But it's not just that. Worship is all of life. Worship is, is meant for gathering, but also in our disbursement when we go home. When, if, if we go home and we act the opposite of what we do in here, that's called hypocrisy and God hates it. That's one of the reasons he punished Israel. God wants us to worship with our lives. So worship with your life is going to school. Is work can be worship. Mowing your lawn, worship. Playing football or football is worship. For the Christian, doing the dishes, volunteering at the crossing guard, writing code, studying for a quiz, stocking the shelves is all worship. At least it can be. Unless it's forbidden by God, everything we do in this life is meant for worship. Even playing fantasy football. I should have turned my notifications off, but I didn't. Sorry. Uh, 
let me turn that over. Uh, hopefully I win fantasy football this year. This, that is to say, we can be worshiping God even when we're doing things like I just mentioned. That's to say every moment is worship. Gathered worship together and scattered worship apart. Every moment of your life is war worship. Don't you see that all your moments are significant and in, enchanted with meaning? It's a lie to say that your moments don't matter, friends, that you can scroll your life away, that we can waste them. It's a lie to say that your work is insignificant. It's a lie to say that this stage of life isn't meaningful, that God hasn't packed all of life full of meaning and enchantment and has called you to worship him through it, even at night. The evening is a time for worship, friends. We may come to the Lord with a prayer of praise and thank him for all his blessings he has given us at the end of the day, and we should do that more often. I should do that more often with my family. Come to the end of the day, and like the priests in the temple, lift up a prayer of praise and bless God for all that he's done for you that day. It doesn't have to be long. It's an acknowledgement. God, you got me through this day. You provided my daily bread, and now I, I rest in the one who has blessed me and will give me sleep. But friends, you were not only created for every moment worship, our call to worship doesn't just involve our every moment. It involves our whole being. It involves our whole body. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. The worship or praising or blessing God is not merely an intellectual activity. It, it means to involve our whole beings. We are embodied souls, after all. If you have a vision of heaven, of being uh, up there with a harp on a cloud, um, and you're just a spirit, which is, is, is what I grew up believing, you have the wrong view of what heaven is. See, this, this worship we, we we're talking about touches into eternity. We are embodied souls, and we will be forever. That's, thank God for the resurrection. Amen? Amen, good. God wants our beings engaged in worship, not just our intellect. And this is far more than a suggestion. It's, he says to the priest to lift your hands. Lift your hands to God. Now I see all of, every one of you is like, oh boy, I know where he's going. I know what he's about to say. But God wants our whole beings engaged in worship, and he's telling those priests in the temple, lift your hands to the Holy One. And friends, I'm not saying you have to lift your hands for every song or every time you come to church, but you are an embodied soul that is meant to worship God, both soul and body. I, and I can't tell you what to do with your hands while you sing, but the Levites told the other Levite, the other priests, that they were to lift their hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Praise him. Paul told Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 2, I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and quarreling. This is one posture for worship, and it's a good posture. So when Paul tells Timothy that, the salvation, he, he means that the salvation of our good God has affected men in this way. They used to be angry and quarreling 
And often men would lift their hands to express dominance, but now they lift their hands to express dependence on God. That is what you do when you lift your hands in worship. You may have thought, why do people do that? Well, in the best case scenario, it is to say, God, you are, in high, you are high and lifted up. You are higher than I am, and I praise you. Many of us don't lift our hands in worship, and I'm not gonna make it a mandate in this church that you do, but it is okay to do it. And, and we can think about the reasons we have for, I don't make this, the, this is not the point of the sermon, okay? It's just a kind of sort of a side point. But it, I, I just want to explore one of the reasons we might not be willing to do this in our service. Say, we'll leave that to the charismatics, let them do it, it's just not our personality. Because uh, it doesn't feel authentic to you. It's inauthentic, right? Well, let me, let me just encourage you, but some, some days you don't feel like going to work, right? Some days you don't feel like loving your family like you should. It feels inauthentic. But you can still do it. It's, sometimes we do the action in order for our feelings to follow. Sometimes you love your family and your wife in order for your feelings to follow. So whether it's raising your hands in worship or engaging, engaging your whole self some way in corporate worship and in private worship, I want to encourage you to do it. You are an embodied soul. And C.S. Lewis, I think, gets at embodied worship in his book, The Screwtape Letters. Has anyone ever read The Screwtape Letters? Yep, I see your hands. Um, Screwtape Letters is, a, is, a, is an imaginary uh, correspondence between uh, a senior demon, Screwtape, and his nephew, Wormwood. And so the language is weird, and he calls God the enemy, and you can get confused, but if you keep it in mind, he, he says it this way. His goal is to tempt and distract the patient, they call him, from the human beings from, uh, from following God, who for him is the enemy. And, and Screwtape says to Wormwood this, at the very least, they can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers. For they constantly forget what you must always remember, that they are animals, and whatever their bodies do affects their souls. Dear friends, you are made in God's image. And, and you are an embodied soul. He gave you bodies. And whatever you do with your body affects your soul. God loved when his people, his servants, his ministers worship him with their words and their actions. He, he, he wants you to engage with your whole self. God has called us to worship with all, every moment, but with our whole being. He's called us to worship with our every moment and our, and our whole being, or both our bodies and souls. So whether that's engaging in corporate worship with, with, your, with your hands, or, or that is remembering in your, in your individual private worship that whatever I do with my body affects my soul, and therefore I want to worship God with my body. He's called us to that. And maybe you could just say, say a word about you know, how technology has affected us in, in this. It's often the, you know, I'll just speak for myself, my screen affects me in such a way that I forget that what I'm doing with my, with my body affects my soul. Even if it's mindless, it's affecting me in some way. God wants you to worship him with your whole self, every moment of your life. But thank the Lord, it's 
it's not just up to us to bless and praise God. Friends, we cannot do that unless he first blesses us. And God has been called to bless his people in verse three. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. As the priests call to one another or the travelers call to the priests, hey, priests, bless the Lord. You who are in the house of the Lord, even at night, bless him. The call comes back, dear friends. As, you, as the journey is continuing on and you go home, the call comes back from the priests. May the Lord bless you from Zion. He who made heaven and earth. As the travelers depart Jerusalem to go back to their homes, they hear this last worship service as night, at night. It have been wonderful to know that your priests were continually working in the temple, praising God, praying for you, for the peace of Israel as you leave. And this is the hope of those of us who are not home yet. But know that the Lord is in Zion. And he, we will see him on that day. Friends, the, the, the Lord is in his holy place, in his holy temple, and we will see him when our journey is over because our priest has prayed for us and is interceding for us continually. God's people, bless each other. You bless each other by calling God to bless from Zion. Zion, remember, Zion is a mountain in Jerusalem where the temple was built. And God chose to make his presence dwell in that place. And the Bible speaks of it as uh, the city of the living God, the city of the great king in other places. One, one place, in, in one sense, one place cannot contain God, and yet God chooses to dwell with his people, to make him to step into time and to step into history and dwell with his people. And so Zion becomes a picture of the heavenly Jerusalem. May the Lord bless you from Zion. We find in Hebrews 12, 21, preceding that verse, it was, it was, a, was a reminder of, of coming to another mountain where there was darkness and, uh, and, and trembling and a blazing fire. But, he says, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festival gatherings. God has, has, is reminding us that it wasn't just at a physical place called Jerusalem or Zion on a hill called Zion. It, it, God is everywhere, and he is blessing his people and making his presence known in his people, who, who in another sense are Mount Zion. God makes his spirit dwell with you, you who have repented of your sins and turned to Christ through his work on the cross and through his resurrection. If you have turned to him, you are one of the living stones that has built up the temple of God. You are Zion. You are the temple of the living God. May the Lord bless you from Zion. Friends, when you, when you say your goodbyes today, why don't you send each other on your way with blessings. Every blessing is yours in Christ. In, if you are in Christ Jesus, every blessing he has for you, it's yours. Do you wish that for each other? 
Do you pray that for each other? I pray that for you. Every blessing is yours in Christ. It's yours because of Christ, because not only of who he is, he, he is the priest that intercedes for you because of the work he's done for you in redemption. On that cross, dying in your place, rising again and ascending to the Father as the eternal high priest. We, we don't need separate priests to do take the night shift anymore. Jesus is your high priest. He's taken it for you. So when you sleep at night, you remember every blessing is yours in Christ because of Jesus, your great high priest. And friend, when you wake in the middle of the night, Will you remember to pray for those who are in need? God doesn't just wake you up to go to the bathroom. God doesn't just wake you up because you're getting old, like me. God doesn't just wake you up because your kids come in the room in the middle of the night. God, God is waking you up so that you, will, this is what my grandma always did. When she woke up in the middle of the night, she would, she would pray for me. Mostly because she was afraid, like I was doing something bad or, <laughs> or something like that. But and she would tell me, I, I woke up last night and I prayed for you. What a blessing that could be for one another. Will you commit to praying for each other, even in the night watches? Friends, the blessings we wish for come from not just anyone. The blessings we bless each other with come from the maker of heaven and earth. He made the heavens and the earth. That is to say, everything. We wish you blessings from God who created everything by his word. May the maker of the highest mountains of India, the creator of the Mariana Trench in the Western Pacific Ocean, bless you. Whose, whose grace runs deeper than the depths of the oceans and whose love exceeds the heavens reach may he bless you in Christ. Friends, when this life's journey is over, dear Christian, it will be over sooner than you think. And when you are finally home, there will be no more sorrow nor lament. We will not be in distress like 120. We will not be betrayed like we were back then. We will only know eternal blessing and unbridled joy forever. We will be stepping onto one wave of love after the other forever and ever and ever. And God's grace will be reminded of God's, how God's grace crashed on us like waves against the shore. And we will, like the unicorn in the last battle, we will say, as we've gone further up and further in and we've come home at last, he will say, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason we love the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked like this. Come further up and further in. Dear friends, may our church be a little slice of heaven, like Mount Zion. And we, we tell people, come further up and further in. No, no more of Jesus until you see him face to face. And it will happen, dear friend, as we bless the Lord, as we bless each other, and we pray that God blesses us. Let's pray.